Welcome to Liberty Chats, produced by members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. Thank you for joining us. We talk to a variety of experts, leaders, journalists, and policymakers about our nation's founding principles, why they are still so relevant and essential to preserving freedom for everyone, what specific challenges and threats they face today, and how those founding principles best safeguard and empower everyone's ability, young and old, to attain prosperity and personal happiness. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Liberty Chats, a new podcast from the Steamboat Institute. My name is Zachary Rogers, a member of the Emerging Leaders Council, a leadership program out of the Institute, and I am excited to be a part of this podcast. At the Steamboat Institute, we are dedicated to promoting the values of freedom, liberty, and civil dialogue. Today, our guest is Congressman French Hill. He serves the 2nd District of Arkansas. Thank you for your time today, sir. Zachary, great to be with you. And I remember distinctly the inaugural Steamboat uh, Conference back in 2009. So it's a real treat for me to join you today. Excellent. Well, we're glad you could make it. Um, today, we're going to cover uh, our policy regarding the Chinese. We're going to cover four questions briefly. Why should Americans care about our policies with the Chinese? Do we have the right policies? If we don't have the right policies, what bipartisan common sense policies could we have um, and then your recent article in the Wall Street Journal. Um, so let's let's get started with the first question. Why should Americans care about our policy with the Chinese? Well, Americans obviously care about opportunity and economic growth here. They care about their savings, their education, their family's well-being. And in recent years, starting in the middle of the Obama administration, the Chinese Communist Party and the government in Beijing really pivoted away from attempting to play by the global rules, that is general trade liberalization, freedom of navigation in the seas in the South China Sea and in East Asia, and in opening their markets up in a fair way and seeing a more pluralistic society in China. Instead, uh, President Xi Jinping is going the opposite direction, militarizing China, closing their market, Uh, making a move both in space and on sea and on land for a military superpower uh, to dominate the world. In the third world, dominated economically. And in the developed world, both in Japan, the United States and Europe, trying to use Chinese technology uh, to infiltrate our markets uh, for malign intent. So China has really pivoted. And this is after 40 years of America leading the way, thinking that China will become a good member of the family of nations. So that should be concerning to Americans because it could impact our economic growth, our jobs in this country, our rate of economic growth in the future, and uh, our national security. China certainly has not made uh, the pivot to becoming more democratic and open to capitalism in the world that was expected uh, 40 years ago, um, and certainly they pose unique threats, you know, domestically and internationally. Uh, so the question arises, do we have the right policies to respond to all those things you mentioned um, militarily and in, in the Pacific, uh, developmentally in the third world? You know, what is America doing in these areas? Yeah, let's take it. Let's take it one step at a, at a time. Let's talk about trade. And President Trump uh, certainly shined a broad, bright spotlight on China's trade practices. They're mercantilistic. They wanna put themselves in the best light from a trade point of view. 
and they give the allure of an open market by buying more American pork or something of that nature. But since the 1990s, they systematically have stolen American intellectual property, European intellectual property. They have not opened their market and they do not uh, create an open system for capital markets or for consumer demand. They want to create their own China-centric market to the exclusion of the West and ultimately to replace the West. So first, Let's have trade policies that are realistic. Let's hold China account. Let's stop them from intellectual property theft. Let's open their markets. Let's prohibit them dumping steel and aluminum on the global markets. Uh, and But we need help. And this was uh, one of my constructive criticisms in the Trump administration. We need Europe on board with this and Japan and the other democracies. I believe they can be on board. Secondly, the a derivative from the trade debate is this technology issue I raised. And Huawei has gotten a lot of the, uh, I would say, publicity about this because that's a telecommunication infrastructure technology promoted by China. And they're trying to integrate uh, Huawei technology into the international telecommunications and, and computer systems in Europe, the U.S., Japan. And it's not secure. It's a gateway to the CCP uh, from a surveillance point of view and from a, a lack of uh, competitiveness point of view. So trade's a big issue. We're making progress. National security. China is militarizing in uh, East Asia, in, in North Asia, slowly, uh, but uh, I would say deliberately, building more and more uh, external non-defensive capacity. This goes beyond nuclear weapons, of course. This is in terms of force projection by both Army and Navy. Uh, I believe America and our allies are awake to this, and we have certainly countered with our Indo-Pacific strategy with India and with our colleagues uh, up and down uh, the China Sea. For example, last year, President Trump sent the USS John Stennis uh, into the port at Hanoi, the first port call by an American naval ship since the Vietnam War, uh, just to send that signal that we're committed to open seas in, in Asia. Uh, thirdly, let's talk about credit and finance. China is now the world's largest creditor nation. Repeat, China is now the world's largest creditor nation. And yet they borrow from the World Bank like they're a third world developing nation. They don't belong to the Paris Club. The Paris Club is sovereign countries uh, that lend money to the third world, how they work together to restructure debts and do that in a fair and balanced way. Instead, uh, leader Xi has impoverished the third world through his one belt, one road strategy by taking commodities, strategic minerals, port facilities, airports, river navigation areas as collateral to impoverish the third world and identify key places where China can have a chokehold, either in the development of high-tech minerals or in global uh, security transportation. Uh, so those three areas are key areas. There's others. We could talk about space, uh, but those are three key areas. And I believe America is leading in all three areas. I believe there's strong bipartisan support on that in Congress. And we have to work with our allies to have the force to bring this Chinese strategy 
to not to heal, but to back in balance would be the way I would describe it. With Japan, the EU and America, it's about 40% of two-way trade with China. That's a big economic uh, stick. Yes, sir. No, trade, trade technology and uh, China as the world's largest creditor are certainly spheres of influence for China. Speaking of uh, financial credit, you recently wrote in the Wall Street Journal uh, about uh, the IMF and special drawing rights. Can you explain that to a lay audience, um, including myself? You know, the bottom line is China's finance minister and finance, finance ministers in Europe are pressing the Biden administration to distribute hard currency from the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. And that doesn't sound bad, right, on the surface. In fact, they suggest that it's a way to help the poorest nations of the world fight the pandemic. The pandemic has been brutal. It's impoverishing our country, but you can only imagine how it's impoverishing a sub-Saharan African nation. No trade, no tourism, uh, shutdowns, education constraints, budgetary constraints. So China and Europe want the IMF to send hard currency out through the IMF's uh, technique called special drawing rights. This is euros, RMB, which is the Chinese currency, and dollars are credited to all 190 member countries' accounts. They can use it for collateral. They can use it for repayment. It's like making money out of thin air from the IMF. Hence, you can see why they think that's helpful. Here's the downside. It does not target it to poor countries. It goes to all 190 members. So we're going to give $5 billion to Iran, $40 billion to China. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. And so I'm pushing back against this. I think the Biden administration is wrong. There are ways to help poor countries through the World Bank and the IMF without giving money to terrorists and the mullahs in Iran and Putin's government in Russia. Yes, sir. No, that, that's certainly problematic and that it's not targeted. And I was really shocked that it could be uh, used to pay other other debts such as China. That was uh, really quite surprising. I hadn't heard anyone bring that issue up before. Well, we want to help the poor countries. Uh, the uh, World Bank has extended about $100 billion in favorable credit, $12 billion in exact vaccine help for the poorest countries. The G20 countries, the biggest countries in the world, using that Paris Club I referenced a minute ago, have suspended debt payments for the poorest countries. So we are working together with uh, the wealthier G7 biggest countries in the world to try to help those suffering in the third world. But giving RMB Chinese currency and uh, more hard currency to rogue dictatorships is not a way to help the poorest countries in the world. Yes, sir. Certainly. We want our, our aid to be targeted and effective and uh, still in the national interest. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Um, that was very brief, but it was an excellent overview. Uh, thank you for joining us today on Liberty Chats. Please share the show on social media and leave us a rating and review on iTunes if you enjoyed today's episode. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's Liberty Chat. I'm Erica Anderson, the producer of the podcast. Our podcast editor is Fingers Malloy. My co-producers include Charlotte Whalen, Zachary Rogers, Lindsay Martin, and Christina Eastman, all members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. 
who represent the next generation of free market, free speech leadership. We hope you tune in again for our next Liberty Chat episode.